This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The young shining cuckoo is fed by its foster parents on insects and spiders. But the korimako, or bellbird, has a much more interesting diet of nectar. It's been something of a radio personality and has sung on shortwave radio to Australia and the Pacific nations for 30 years. However, the early recordings failed to reflect the versatility of the bellbird, with its wide variety of liquid notes and artistically placed clicks and bell-like sounds. It's not surprising that Maori mythology describes Korimako, the bellbird, as the messenger of Tane, sent to herald the coming of the sun. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good day, friends. Today we have Eduardo Valdez, Cuban ambassador on the radio again. We'll be talking about many things, but one of the things we will be speaking about was the unusually large protest, at least for Cuba, in July, and also the American economic embargo uh, welcome back to uh, Community or Chaos, Eduardo. Thank you, Marvin. It's great to have this opportunity to talk to you. The, I think we're, the world is still in a uh, crisis with COVID-19. COVID-19 was kept at bay until recently in Cuba. Why did it break out and what has happened since? Well, as you said, uh, during 2020, we had a very favorable situation because we were able to keep the amount of case, active cases around 2,000, and less than 90 people died during that period. But at the end of the year, in December, a lot of Cubans living abroad went back to the country to visit their families, and they didn't comply with the regulations that were established. And that was one factor. I think that another factor could be that after many months in a very uh, uncomfortable situation, people started to uh, break the regulations and start to socialize and doing this kind of things. And a third uh, factor that I think is very important is the introduction of the Delta variant in the country. I would say that these are the three uh, more important uh, factors that uh, created a difficult situation nowadays. Now, we have more than uh, 46,700 uh, active cases and more than 3,500 people have died. So it's a very different situation where, compared uh, with what we had in the first month of the pandemic. What are some of the difficulties uh, your health services facing with COVID-19? 
Well, you know, we have a very uh, well-developed uh, public health system. Uh, uh, health is, uh, attention is free for everyone all over the country. We have a system that, that covers all neighborhoods in, in Cuba. And besides that, we have very good scientists and uh, research centers that have been able to develop our own vaccines. We have five vaccine candidates, and two of them are already, uh, uh, one is officially a vaccine, and the other one is in the paperwork, but uh, we are using it already as uh, vaccines. But uh, due to the U.S. blockade against Cuba, we had a lot of difficulties to get some uh, raw materials, equipment, and different things that we need for uh, developing our strategy to face COVID-19. For example, during the pandemic, a European company that used to sell us the special ventilators that are used to treat the patients informed us that they will not be able to, the, to sell us this equipment again because uh, the company was bought by the American company. So we had to start developing our own ventilators and nowadays we are having uh, a more limited production where we are uh, facing the situation with that and with the solidarity of many other people like China that send us a few ventilators in order to help. And there is a contradiction, uh, for example, that we have created the vaccines, we are producing record numbers of vaccines, but we don't have enough stringers in order to vaccinate people because nowadays everyone in the world is buying stringers for the campaigns. And it is very complicated to sell syringes because of the duration of the blockade. Okay. What's been the economic impact of COVID-19 on Cuba? I mean, it's impacted all, all countries, but particularly countries such as Cuba and, the, and perhaps in some ways New Zealand because we depend on tourists. Yes. For us, it's a, a very important impact. As you said, we had to close our borders for more than seven months and a half, and we depend a lot on tourism. And uh, besides that, after we reopen the country, we have to reopen it uh, with a limited number of tourists, with taking a lot of uh, different measures and all that. And so our incomes have been reduced uh, a lot. If you add to that, that in the middle of the pandemic, the U.S. has present the, all the regulations and sanctions against Cuba, against Cuba, it is very difficult for us to find the resources needed. And in addition to that, we are spending a lot of money in order to cover the necessities of all the population, not only the basic uh, uh, needs, but especially all that is related to uh, the pandemic. You know, we have a lot of people in hospitals, we need a lot of uh, medicine, we have to develop the vaccines. So it's a very complex situation from the economic point of view, and the fact have been very important. In early July, for the first time in, a, in nearly a decade, you had mass protests. Um, how would you describe those protests, and do they differ from protests that have happened in other countries, say the United States, um, some European countries, and others? Yes, I think that uh, they are very different, and also the way that uh, we have been facing this are very different too. 
you know, uh, the the protests happened in Cuba in July 11, Sunday. There were demonstrations, but they were neither spontaneous nor peaceful. They were organized from the U.S. and there was vandalism against numerous businesses, destruction of police cars, and even the stunning of a pediatric ward of a hospital in the city of Cardenas. It is necessary to mention that on June 15, almost a month before this happened, a company was, was created in Florida with funds from the state government. And the only purpose of that company was to start that same day with robots and false geolocalization, the SOS Cuba campaign to call for a so-called humanitarian intervention in Cuba. As I said before, Cuba faces a complex economic and epidemiological situation, but even today, our indicators of citizen tranquility, social benefits uh, for the entire population, confrontation with the pandemic, etc., are better than those of most of the countries in our region and many others in the world. So imposing humanitarian intervention in Cuba is not justified at all. It was part of a whole uh, project promoted from the U.S. To prove that, I can mention that uh, following the protests, the websites of the Cuban presidency, the website of the foreign ministry, and the most popular news outlet in Cuba, Cuba Debate, among others, have been under cyber attacks and the manipulation of information and photos on social media and the networks and media in general have been uh, very important. And the magnitude and technological uh, capacity shown indicates that it's not the result of the operation of a spontaneous protester, but something that was very well organized. Given the failure of the, the actions developed on July 11, and that Cuba remains in calm, now the campaign focuses on an alleged wave of terror or brutal repression without showing any evidence. And they are using photos of events that happen in other countries. And we have documented a lot of this example in what we call Red Vedda, that in English will be Truth Network, where you can see a lot of pictures that have been shown as being part of the, the riots in Cuba. And in, 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 in fact, they have been happening in many other countries of Europe, of uh, Asia, or somewhere else, and even in the United States. So it is very important to say that the, also the way that we faced this uh, situation was very different because when the first uh, protest started, the president himself went personally to talk to the protesters and to listen to their demands. But then when they realized that there would be no repression and all that, then they started provoking and acting in violent ways in order to try to use these incidents in order to uh, create chaos and to justify their so-called humanitarian intervention in Cuba. I understand that one person was uh, killed in the, in the demonstrations. Can you talk about that? Sorry? I understand that one person died in the demonstrations. Can you talk about that? Yes. In fact, it happened the following day. I don't have details about what happened, but it, it seems that there was a confrontation between people that were in favor and against the, the revolution. But I don't have details about that. 
Do people in Cuba, because of their, partly because of the economic embargo and other situations, do they have reason to be upset at this time in their lives um, because of the, their living situation has maybe gotten worse in the last year or two? Yes, absolutely. You know, honest people participated in the July 11 protests, but they were burdened by the difficulties of daily life under the conditions of the blockade and the pandemic. And some uh, were manipulated by disinformation also. Uh, many of these people that uh, protested peacefully, when they saw what was happening, they uh, abandoned the places and that all of them are enjoying their normal life nowadays. You know? The... The situation, as I said, is complicated from the economic and the sanitary point of view, but the support for the revolution is overwhelming. The, the, fir- the very first uh, proof of this is that when the, <coughs> the president called the Cuban supporters of the revolution to go to the street and demonstrate the support, the riots finished because it was an overwhelming majority of people that was uh, supporting the the revolution. The um, reports are that journalists have been detained, including one reporter from a Spain's leading newspaper. Can you talk about that? Yes, sure. I think this is a very good example of manipulation and how some politicians have consciously or unconsciously joined uh, the lies. In Cuba, no journalist was arrested for covering the protests, as some people say. The best proof of that is that uh, in our country, 159 journalists from 23 countries, including the U.S., are permanently accredited. The day after the July 11 protests, there was a press conference by the Cuban foreign minister with broad participation of these journalists and no one mentioned any arrest. Had it happened, they would undoubtedly have expressed concern about the fate of their colleagues. That's the normal way that uh, journalists or people in general uh, function regarding their counterparts or or colleagues in the profession. So in Spain, it was initially published that the Spanish citizen correspondent for the newspaper ABC had been arrested. And not a few politicians joined the demand for her release. Later, they had to change their version, their version of the facts. And now they speak of a Cuban that works as a contributor to the a newspaper. The concrete fact is that she was not Spanish and that ABC doesn't have and has never had a correspondent in Cuba. Uh, I invite you to see the publications of that person that, by the way, is uh, enjoying his life in his house. She was she was detained for a few hours, and is in perfect health. But uh, in her social networks, uh, she writes something like, like like this, and I quote: "If the Cuban regime does not reconsider, or the world forces them to reconsider, the blood will flow. It is time to pressure them to abandon power." If we give in now, we will have many more years of dictatorship. That doesn't sound exactly like a journalist to me. 
but uh, it's a good example of how things have been manipulated. This person is not a Spanish, it's not a correspondent. ABC doesn't have a correspondent in Cuba, and there are no uh, journalists detaining Cuba because of reporting. This person is an activist that has been involved in many actions that the, you can understand from the quote that I mentioned, and uh, that has been used uh, in order to attack Cuba and to talk about dictatorship and repression of, and all that without any real evidence. In many countries, including um, capitalist uh, democracies, when I say capital, I'm not indicating you are not a democracy, but they've had protests because pe people's living conditions and issues. What are some of the issues and difficulty that um, divide people in Cuba? Well, first of all, I have to say that the, the, the right to demonstrate peacefully is recognized in the Cuban constitutions and in our laws. And uh, that in Cuba, they are not uh, frequent protests or riots because there are a lot of ways that Cuba can express their uh, insatisfactions and problems and uh, get an answer from the government or from the institutions. This is not a perfect system. And as I said, we have a lot of uh, difficulties in daily life, which are real. And you have to take into consideration that in this moment, people uh, have been in lockdown or in difficult uh, situations for more than a year. People were facing more difficulties to get the basic uh, things because of the strengthening of the blockade and the, the, the impact of the blockade and the pandemic in the Cuban economy. And there was also uh, a a manipulation of information in order to encourage mm. and confuse them in order to go to the street and act in a violent way. So some people went uh, there and acted the way they were asked in the social media and some of them went there and when they realized what was going on, they decided to go back to their homes and even criticize what they have been, people have been doing on the streets. Because, for example, when you see that there are many videos of uh, people uh, vandalizing shops, but they were vandalizing shops that they were not stealing food or something that is for first necessity items, but uh, air conditioners, uh, stereos, ovens, different things that uh, have nothing to do with difficulties in daily life. Uh, there are conspiracy theories around COVID-19. Some people say that it's, it's itself is a conspiracy. The vaccines, you've had uh, demonstrations and protests, for instance, in Australia over these issues. Would this play any role? No, I, in Cuba, there's a lot of confidence in the health system and in the government in general, in the population. For example, we people in Cuba are used to be vaccinated because we have, a, a, in regular times, we have a program of 13 vaccines and eight of them are produced in Cuba. So people are used to get vaccinated and they are used to get vaccinated 
with few vaccines. So they have confidence in the in our scientists and they have confidence in our government. And besides that, being people uh, in Cuba, people are very uh, well prepared and informed because we have a very uh, wide uh, public education system that includes even the university. It's free at all levels. And people know the how a vaccine functions and people know how the pandemic functions. So it's not uh, difficult for them to understand that uh, the, it is necessary to, to get the vaccine. So in fact, we have lines of people in the places where the vaccination is uh, uh, given to them. And that's a, it's not a problem in Cuba. And I don't think there will be any protests regarding the, the vaccination coming back. If when there's shortage of food and other necessities, how do you make sure that everyone gets their fair share from inadequate supply? Well, uh, that's a principle that we have always applied in Cuba, that everyone gets at least the minimum that they need in order to live. And I have to uh, emphasize that even in the middle of this extremely complicated situation, no one is going to bed in Cuba without having food. You know, We have uh, what is called a rationing card that guarantees that everyone gets the same amount of uh, very basic products. And in, in this uh, time of uh, difficulties, we have been adding, adding to this uh, rationing card most of the products that are needed in order to control that everyone gets uh, a fair uh, part of, of this. And nowadays, we are receiving a lot of donations from other countries who Cuba uh, have characterized for uh, being in solidarity with many people, even during the pandemic, you know that we have sent doctors everywhere in order to help. And there are many countries that are uh, paying back and they are sending solidarity to Cuba, sending donations and all that. And these donations are being distributed for free among the population in a very open and transparent way. And that's the way that we function for all uh, situations in, in Cuba. You know, we share what we have, that is not too much, but we here we share it in the most uh, uh, right. level way. No? Okay, I'm going to um, play some music now, and then we'll come back. If I had a Yeah. 
Well, friends, we're talking with Eduardo Valdez, Cuban ambassador, and we've been talking about the situation that gave rise to protest in July, and we'll also be talking about the U.S. blockade and economic embargo. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and then going to Community Chaos. It should be up in the next few days. Ricardo, what has been the relationship between Cuba and the United States from President Obama's administration to Trump's administration and now Joe Biden's presidency? Could you talk about starting back with Obama and through to now? Yes, but let me first say that the stated goal of the U.S. policy toward Cuba is what they call regime change. They have been trying uh, to do that for more than 60 years now, and many in many different ways. We have the Bay of Pigs military invasion in the 60s that was defeated in less than 72 hours. We have the blockade. We had a bacteria warfare. We have terrorist attacks and new forms of what is called unconventional warfare. For example, the US government finances a radio station and a TV channel that broadcast exclusively to Cuba in violation of many international regulations. And they allocate no less than $20 million annually to what they call promote democracy in Cuba and to manipulate the social networks and to encourage unrest in the island through the social media. The State Department have been uh, trying to uh, put pressure in many countries in order to uh, support a document they have been circulating to condemn Cuba because of the riots and the response that we get to the riots and all that. So that's the situation between Cuba and the United States have been always very, very tense in general. During Obama years, there was a change, not a change in the goal of the so-called regime change, but a change in the way he was trying to achieve that. Obama considered that uh, his values, his way of life, system was superior and if we got in contact with it, everyone in Cuba will love that, will change uh, their mind and they will stop uh, supporting the revolution and will be supporting a regime change as, as I said before. We decided that we could take that challenge and let the two countries relate in a more normal uh, and civilized way. And as a result of that, we uh, signed many agreements in different areas that were of benefit for the two countries and people. For example, regarding the protection of the environment, regarding the, the application of, of the law enforcement, law enforcement, regarding uh, immigration, regarding scientific research, 
you know, in different areas, we establish a cooperation. And as you know, Obama visited Cuba. He was able to talk freely to the Cuban people. It was shown on TV live. And uh, we had uh, the same different ideas, the same different uh, objectives, but a more uh, normal way of expressing our points points of view and relating to one another. Then uh, Trump came into power and he was obsessed with erasing everything that was done by Obama. And he was also obsessed with Cuba because he saw that he needed the support of Cuban American politicians from Florida in order to win that state. So he started not only um, defunding a lot of uh, the programs that were taking part between the two countries, but he withdrew most of the uh, personnel that they had in the embassy in Havana. He started to to approve new rules and regulations to tighten the blockade against Cuba. And in his four years in office, he approved 243 decisions and regulations regarding Cuba in order to make this blockade more uh, strict. The last thing that he did just less than a week before leaving the White House was to include Cuba in the list of states sponsors of terrorism. Everyone, even in the, in the U.S. and in the U.S. government, know that it was a political maneuver with electoral purposes. But the fact is that if this has an impact in the way that Cuba relates with the, not only with the United States, but with the rest of the world. Because, for example, here in New Zealand, very far away from the U.S., and in a country where we have a normal and positive relationship uh, between Cuba and, and New Zealand, the regulations of the blockade apply for many uh, issues. And for example, when you are in the list of states sponsor of terrorism, there you are in the list that all banks all over the world control your uh, accounts and your movements of money and all that. So for the daily functioning of the embassy, for example, I have to uh, give a lot of details and information to the banks in order to get the money needed for the functioning of the embassy. And it takes weeks after we receive the the money uh, that was uh, sent for, to us. It takes weeks, weeks before we are able to uh, really get that money because of all this process of investigations and regulations and all that. Even though we have been here in New Zealand for 22 years doing the same operation with the same same banks, but it's something that is the effect of extraterritorial policy that uh, is originated in the U.S. Then there was a lot of expectations from different people, including some Cubans in Cuba and in the U.S., that there would be a change in the policy with Biden because, first of all, Biden was the vice president of Barack Obama. Besides that, Kamala Harris, his uh, vice president, has said more than 
ones that she sends that the blockade against Cuba is a failure and it is a policy that should be changed. Besides that, you can add that uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, who is a Cuban that left Cuba uh, when he was around 11 and established it with his family in California, is now in charge of uh, homeland security in the United States. And Secretary of State Blinken, he and Mayorkas were part of the, uh, the team that negotiated with Cuba the rapprochement during Obama years. So you would think that there would be a, a change because people know Cuba, they know that they can uh, deal seriously with Cuba, that Cuba abides by their commitments and all that. But that's not the case because of domestic politics. Now, Biden has a lot of difficulties in the United States. He has inherited a country where democracy is very, very questioned by everyone, where this economic situation is complicated, where the pandemic uh, needs a better response. And he had to deal with a lot of other issues. And for that, he needs the support of Republican and right-wing people in Congress, including some of these uh, Cuban-Americans that are very influential in some committees like Robert Menendez, uh, also known as Bob Menendez, who is in charge of the uh, uh, Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate. And it's important to emphasize that these so-called Cuban-American politicians like Robert Menendez or Marco Rubio in Florida, these are people that were not uh, born in Cuba. Robert Menendez was born in New York and uh, Marco Rubio was born in Florida. They have never been to Cuba, and the knowledge they have about Cuba is the hate that they inherited from their parents that were affected by revolutionary laws at the beginning of the revolution. Because most of these people that uh, emigrated to Miami at the beginning of the revolution were the owners of the whole country. They didn't accept the nationalization. They didn't uh, wanted to be compensated because they saw that the revolution would not last. So uh, they decided to wait for the Americans to go back and take the country again and give them back their properties. And they have been doing that for years, waiting for more than 60 years. They have a lot of hate uh, against Cuba. And that's why nothing has happened with Biden. It's the same policy that Trump was applying. And in fact, he has been uh, making statements and declarations that are uh, not precisely indicating that he's uh, willing to do any kind of important changes in what's going on nowadays. Okay, what was your reaction when you heard the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, criticized the Cuban government for failing to meet people's basic needs, including food and medicine, particularly when this was happening during the economic embargo and blockade? You know, uh, we have been dealing with this for more than 60 years now, so we are used to hear a lot of uh, statements and declarations that are very hypocritical. And uh, as I mentioned before, that are a result of political in the domestic uh, policy consideration and electoral considerations and all that. You know, because everybody knows 
they have been arguing for years that you know that the blockade doesn't exist. That is a, a, a justification that the Cuban government is a failure and all that. You know, and we have always uh, said, well, if it is a justification, just uh, unblock Cuba, give us a chance to fail by ourselves. But that have never happened, and so they are usually making statements that are in contradiction with their own policy. For example, if a product contains more than 10% of American components, no one can sell it to Cuba, even if you are a Dutch company or a Spanish company or a New Zealand company. There is a lot of uh, regulations, as I said, that affect our financial and banking operations all over the world. There, if you look at the map of the submarine cables that carry internet in the Caribbean, none of them touches Cuba because of the blockade. And now they are saying that they want to uh, the Cuban people to have free access to internet. So they're always uh, saying things that contradict what they're doing. In fact, for example, if the, po the population of Cuba is suffering more, in the middle of the pandemic is because they have been tightening the blockade in the middle of the pandemic. And we have always said that we, we as in a different way, there are many people, uh, many countries that are usually asking the U.S. for help, for donations, for fi financial support and different things. And we only ask the United States to leave us alone, to let Cuba lie. You know, this uh, state that they call the, a failed state has developed its own vaccines. It's taking care of the, its whole population, even in the middle of this complicated situation. We were the 14th place in the Tokyo Olympics. We have a free healthcare system that covers all the population. We have a free education system that covers all the population, even at university levels. So we, in the middle of all this situation, I'm Despite the blockade, we have some achievements that we are proud of. We have a lot of problems also, but we argue that if we didn't have the blockade, the situation in Cuba would be much more better. So it's very hypocritical to hear American politicians talking about that they care about the Cuban people, that they want to help the Cuban people and all that, because everybody knows and it has been stated publicly by their own politicians that the U.S. has not friends but interests. The um, relationship with Cuba and the United States, can, does the American blockade actually, is it enforced on other nations that would normally trade with Cuba but are, find it difficult to trade with Cuba because of the, the economic embargo? Are other nations affected by this? Yes, all nations in the world are affected by the blockade, especially Cuba, but many other countries are affected because, as I said, the extraterritorial uh, character of the blockade affects everyone. For example, there is an important Canadian company in the, in the area of mining that wanted to invest in Cuba. And in order to invest in Cuba and not be subject to the regulations of the blockade and the sanctions and everything else, they have to create another company. For example, the name of the company, and you can check that, is Cherry. It's, a, it's in the nickel business. 
And to operate in Cuba, they have to create another company that is Cherry International that operates in Cuba and in a very successful way. But in order to do that, you have to spend time, you have to spend money, you have to get legal advice, and it makes things very complicated for you in order to uh, do these businesses. For example, the American hotel chain Melia invested in hotels in Cuba, and they were uh, menaced that they could not do business in in Cuba and in Florida at, at the same time. So they had two hotels in Cuba and in Florida, and they said they decided to close the hotels and continue operating in Cuba. And their operations in Cuba have been growing, and they have been earning a lot of money. But in order to do that, you need again a lot of time, money, and advice in order to make the, this kind of decisions. You know, for example, when someone is thinking about investing in Cuba and they see that they have to go through so many regulations, usually they make a decision to go somewhere else. And there are many European banks, very important banks, that have been fined by the U.S. State uh, Treasury Department because they have been operating with Cuba in the past and in very recent months. And I gave you before a good example of what's going on and, and the way this affects everyone. You know, when uh, you are buying syringes and you don't, you cannot get them because people said it is very complicated to deal with Cuba. I better sell this to someone else that that is not subject to the U.S. sanctions. And it is very important to make a distinction. You know, there are some countries that are under international sanctions by the UN or by regional organizations and all that. That's not the case of Cuba. There is not a single international sanction against Cuba. The only sanctions against Cuba are American sanctions, U.S. sanctions. But the point is that they are a very powerful country. They have a lot of influence. They have companies everywhere, and people don't want to get in trouble with them. As a result of the, all this territorial policy and all that, for example, the European Union and Canada approved what they call unfettered laws in order to face this uh, regulation of the US. So by law, they made illegal for the companies to comply with the blockade regulations so that a company is protected by the uh, uh, its domestic regulations. And it's a very clear proof that the blockade affects not only Cuba, but all countries in the world. Okay. The um, Cuban people, do younger people who were born after the revolution have the mm -hmm. same feeling about the revolution and socialism as the people who went through it? Well, no generation has the same feeling that the previous one because you know, there are important uh, differences. But if you look at the demonstrations in favor of the revolution uh, in recent days, after the 11th of July riots, you will see a lot of young people involved in those demonstrations. You know, the, this new generation was born when education was free for everyone, healthcare was free for everyone, uh, all uh, Conditions were created to have access to the basic needs that you have and all that, and they want more. And that is completely understandable and legal. And we are trying to give them more. 
and they are not satisfied with all that is happening in the country. But they don't want to, the U.S. or anyone else to tell them how they have to organize their own country, how they have to function in their own countries. And they, what they need and they want is to have the opportunity to develop all the capacities and to uh, work for the well-being of the country as a whole, uh, for the well-being of their families and themselves. Some of them get tired of the situation and they leave and go to other countries in order to find better uh, conditions for developing, developing their personal projects. That happens everywhere in the world and that's normal. And some of them, after some time abroad, they go back to Cuba with knowledge of different uh, situations, different environments, different technologies, and uh, that's a normal process. But in general, there is not a generational uh, gap in the Cuban revolution. Many years, they ha the, the U.S. have been saying that without the support of the Soviet Union, Cuba the Cuban Revolution will fall immediately. The Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, and the Cuban Revolution is still there. Afterwards, they were saying that without Fidel Castro, the Cuban Revolution will not uh, uh, continue. Fidel Castro is not there physically anymore, and the revolution continues. Afterwards, they said that without a Castro, because Raúl Castro was in, in the government at, at that time, Without the Castro in government, there would be no Cuban revolution. Now, the new president is a member of the new generation. In fact, he is not so old. He's in his 60 now. And uh, the revolution is still there. And he has a very good communication and is uh, very popular among young people because he wants and he loves to listen to them and to uh, use the knowledge of everyone experts and regular people in order to improve the situation in the country. His career was in education, wasn't it? Yes, he used to be a professor at the university. Then he became the Minister of Higher Education. And he has had some responsibilities in the Communist Party also. And he is now the President and the first Secretary of the Communist Party at the same time. When um, people... How has the internet and social media affected Cuba? I know it's affected, apparently it's affected American society and politics um, in not necessarily a positive way. How has the internet and social media affected Cuba? Well, we think that the internet and social media are very powerful tools, and it depends on the way that you use them. For example, in Cuba, despite the difficulties, 64% of the population have access to internet, and 6.6 .6 million people have uh, cellular phones. And we are working hard to improve the 4G connections in, in the country. We've seen that it's a very useful tool that can give us uh, better access to information, to scientific research, to uh, improve the, the functioning of the bureaucracy and all the ministries and you know all the institutions that have to deliver a service or help in any way the population and all that. But at the same time, uh, as happens in all over the, the world, there are some people that use this as a tool in order to learn about how someone lives or how many times someone has been married or how many millions someone have uh, won 
because he's a good singer or a good a good sport band and all that. And that's always a challenge. Always a challenge because the people get uh, a different set of values that are not the ones that we consider important or essential for the younger generations. But we have to deal with that and we have to uh, find a way to get them uh, prepared to get a critical view at all these banalities and things that you can see on on the internet. It, it, it strikes me very hard when I look at the numbers, you know, uh, King Kardashian, who is uh, what they call the socialite in the U.S., has millions and millions of followers. And Noam Chomsky has just thousands of followers. So that kind of situation happens all over the world and it's sad to see. But we are confident that our younger generations and all Cubans that are using the internet would be able to learn how to distinguish the truth from the lies, what is important and what is not. And in fact, the, the, the riots in the July 11 would be a very good lesson for many people that were encouraged to act in different ways through that network and then they realized <laughs> that they have been manipulated and they don't like to be part of that. So I think it's a positive balance at the end of the day. How have you found... Um living in New Zealand for yourself and your family, and how have your children adopted to New Zealand education? Well, uh, New Zealand is a very nice country. People are very uh, kind and very open, but uh, it's very different from Cuba, you know. The weather is different, the language is different, and even the way that people relate to each other in Cuba we are very close to friends and families and neighbors and everyone knows each other. And we uh, are very noisy people. We listen to a lot of music and we do a lot of recreation around the, the beach, the sea. And for us in Cuba, it's difficult, uh, in, in New Zealand, it's difficult because when you go to the beach, the temperature of the water is extremely <laughs> cold for us. And uh, there are many things that we uh, are not used to do. But we have been, you know, climbing and learning about the Maori culture and learning about the habits in New Zealand. The food is also different, but we like it. So it's a different experience, and uh, but it's always a positive one because you learn about the different culture and all that. My son is extremely happy because in less than a year, he was able to learn English, and uh, he's now involved in the Kapahak at school. He's uh, uh, learning how to play hockey, which is something that in Cuba we don't know uh, well. And uh, he's uh, in general relating to people, not only from New Zealand, but from many different parts of the world that are here in, in his school, in Canal School. And his experience is very positive. And besides that, he loves that the school is here is not as demanding as in Cuba, because in Cuba they have a lot of homeworks and different things, and it's not the case here in New Zealand. Does that worry you a bit? <laughs> no, you know, we are trying to reinforce his knowledge with uh, some classes. We, we have to help him because, for example, he speaks English very well, but he has difficulties writing in English, so we have to do some homework with him here 
at the home. He's not happy about that, but that's the way we have to deal with it. How do you see Cuba's role in the world now? Well, you know, Cuba is a very small country and a poor country also. And our role in the world is uh, very uh, connected with the way that we have been relating to many countries in general. You know, we have very few resources, but we share what we have. For example, our doctor has been helping for years and years in different countries, in the, especially in the South, but not only the South. During the pandemic, we had doctors in Andorra and Italy, in some developed countries. And uh, I think that the most important thing, and the, uh, we are very active in the international community at the UN and everywhere, you know, we defend as a small country, we defend a world that is based, based in laws and rules. And uh, where mutualism and peace and disarmament are values that are shared by everyone. And uh, what I think we can show to the world is that small and poor country, 90 miles from the United States, with a lot of hostility from the biggest superpower in the world, can choose its own way and continue going in that way, even if you have to pay a big price for it. You, If you are loyal to your ideas and you maintain the unity of your country, you can keep going towards your own goals without the interference of other important powers. Okay, thank you very much, Eduardo, for coming on and uh, for having this discussion um, because it's really important that... Um, people um, inform themselves about what's going on in the world and um, so they can make good choices. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for this opportunity. Thank you, Marvin. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.